0: To all Canadians from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic, welcome. What a great and marvelous land God has gifted us with. A big welcome also to those of you who are joining us from other countries. We also love to hear where everyone is from, so be sure to pop your location in the chat. I want to say how much we appreciate all of you who join us every week and how much your love and encouragement means to us. We are so humbled to know that you're praying for us and we thank you for sharing messages and scripture with us as well. And tonight we are so excited to have the Honorable Brian Peckford with us once again. I'm always so pleased to introduce everyone to Tanya Gaw, the founder of Action for Canada, Tanya has been fighting for our rights and freedoms for over six years now as she spreads the word about how the corruption in our government has been undermining our nation. Many of you have been to rallies that she has spoken at and you know how passionate she is. I honour Tanya for her integrity as she leads Action for Canada and empowers ordinary Canadians like you and me to stand up against our tyrannical government. Hello Tanya.
1: Hi, Heather, and welcome, everybody. I'm so excited about tonight. It's going to be awesome. So I'm going to go as speedy as I can through our update. Heather, you're amazing. Your presentation, uh, the way you update that every week and keep people informed is just uh, professional. And I'm just so proud to have you on our team. And with that, I just want to give a big thank you, like to Terenzio and Ray and Sheila and Jenny and everybody else that helps out with this production and is answering your questions, etc. Okay, um, <laughs> thank you, Terenzio. If we all had our mics and if we were in a room together, that would be the case. Okay, awesome. If you're here for the first time, I'd love to see you post that in the chat and welcome to you especially. I hope you enjoyed the orientation. Every week we do from 4.45 to 5 o'clock. That's of course BC time, the orientation because we got a lot of people in Canada who thankfully are starting to wake up and see that this whole uh, COVID thing is a fraud. And we wanna make sure that they have access to all our amazing resources that we've worked so hard to make available to citizens for almost the past two years, if you can believe that, eh? I saw a lot of people posting about the unions and I just want to make sure I can't, Oh, there we go. I could make it a little bit bigger that in uh, Ontario local 1764 has come out and said no member of CUPE local 1764 will be terminated for non-compliance to the corporate COVID-19 vaccination policy. And so if you're not aware of that, Uh, look that up online. I'm probably going to put this on the Workers Unite page. So let me just show you where that is. I'll be posting it. This is the Action for Canada website. Just go over to join, down to Workers Unite. And generally, if there's news or updates, I put them on the side over here or as an image right here. All kinds of good stuff. If you haven't joined Workers Unite, if you're an employee, If you are a business owner, we are welcome you to sign up because uh, there is much that we provide as information here. And if the government decides to lock us all down again next fall, we want to be able to have a huge, large uh, coalition that is going to rise up with all sectors across Canada and say no more. We should all be doing that right now, actually. All right. So with the recent actions under call to action is where we post our weekly newsletters that go out with calls to action within them. Here's our special guest. We always post the Empower Hour separately so you can share it on social media. But this week, since we were having um, Mr. Peckford on, I really wanted to focus on the Charter of rights. And of course, not only you know how important that is to all of our freedoms, and our personal individual rights, but the fact that it says uh, in the beginning there that it's uh, recognized the supremacy of God and the rule of law. And I was thinking about how for decades the government has been trying to move us towards this fascist, communist, call it what you will, um, government And with that, they had to destroy the supremacy of God in Canada because biblical values, principles, countries that are built on this are the only ones that are living in true democracy. So I thought about uh, even here on, uh, you know, you as welcome guests uh, that have been attending. Many of you are believers. Many of you are not. And so as we move towards recognizing the Constitution and the Charter and that Canada is founded on godly principles, biblical principles, what does that mean for us as Canadians? And why is that an uh, an important um, fact? And it's because, as I mentioned, it's only Western countries that are based on biblical principles that are living in freedom. And I always challenge everybody as much as I can because we've been lied to for so long that secularism was the way to go, that being in a post-national state with no core identity was, was what mattered. So everybody gets treated the same and everybody's values and thoughts are equal, but that isn't actually so. And when we look at totalitarian regimes, uh, if we look at the Islamic nations, they have a different uh, system of governance and they have a different system of belief. If we look at communist China, North Korea, Pakistan, we can say, no, all countries aren't equal and the same. The people should be treated equally, but they're not. In those nations, they're actually oppressed. So I thought it was really important over these last couple of years to really talk about why is it important that we discuss God in a a democratic nation? And because it is central to our freedoms, which gives you the right to believe or not to believe without fear of persecution, oppression, and even death. Okay, so there's some information here on Honorable Peckford. I hope that you received this. We have created a new page. I'm just going to click on that right here. And we are going to be uh, keeping up to date on all that is transpiring as more and more data is released regarding Pfizer. Horrible, terrible situation there. Um, here we include 13,000% increase in male children age 12 to 15 suffering from myocarditis. As an effect of this, what they are now doing in high schools, they're announcing in the United States that uh, before entering sports, they have these uh, young people actually have to go and have an ECG done. That's a pretty sad indication. And uh, it's kind of interesting here in the article, they said that ECG screenings help identify athletes who are at risk of sudden cardiac arrest, which is the leading cause of death in athletics. Um, Not pre-COVID, it wasn't. Uh, You know, they were the ones that were healthiest. We weren't watching athletes dropping dead in the fields, uh, you know, and uh, prior to the, I'm not going to call it a vaccination, this deadly injection. Okay, we're talking more and more about the digital ID system. Trudeau, oh, it's so disgusting. Uh, hundreds of thousands of businesses have closed in the last couple of years. And here Trudeau is finally coming out and saying that small businesses are the backbone of the Canadian economy and the heart of our communities. He's a liar. He's a thief. He belongs in jail. $100 billion that was supposed to be going to small businesses relief programs. Stats Canada came out and they reported that it mostly went to large corporations All right. I am doing uh, weekly calls to action. We want you to focus on still writing the Liberal MPs and applying pressure, demanding that they remove Justin Trudeau and that they themselves step down because they are in uh, violation of the Criminal Code and our Constitution and our Charter. And they have committed egregious crimes against the citizens of this nation. And they need to hear the language. They need to hear that we're going to hold them accountable. All right, many are talking about Bill S-233, uh, as it says here, a national framework for a guaranteed livable basic income. Uh, socialism has never worked in any other country. All it does is make them rich, richer, and more powerful, and the middle class uh, are pushed towards poverty, as we see happening in Canada, and people need to be reliant on the government en masse. And that's what COVID-19 has helped uh, the government achieve in Canada as well. We all united have to stand up and say no more. So we're asking you to write the Senate and tell them to oppose Bill S-233, please. All right. So real quick, um, I wanted to let you know as well, uh, we are finally, many of you have been asking for French notices of liability. So the one for children is finally in a French version. As well on the business page and the uh, church resource page, we do have the, uh, just quickly go in here, just a couple of documents as well that we're starting to release um, in French as well. But just keep an eye on the pages. We're going to be updating that as fast as we can. This is a no trespass order in French for business owners, but we'll get there. Um, This is a high priority to us, but as you can imagine, the volume and the amount of work we've had to do has been overwhelming. Um, For those of you who are excited to say as well, we know that the power of prayer is amazing in changing things and in people's lives. We know that many people have lost hope and are struggling and in need of support. And so Action for Canada has created a prayer team. And if you want to click on, on here... There you go. It'll automatically send an email to the prayer team with your request. That doesn't want to go away. That doesn't want to go away. There we go. Sorry about that. Oops. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be in a a mess right here for a moment. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about this, everyone. This is a little blurt that I've had going on with my system. Okay. And As always, a lot of people have been saying, what do we do about the digital ID? What do we do about the government and their unlawfulness? What we need to do is we're asking all of you to join chapters across Canada, get involved in the communities, and then consider running at all levels of government yourself, or find people who will run and support them with everything you've got. We need to replace all the school board trustees We need to replace city councillors and mayors and also MLAs, MPPs, and, of course, the MPs. If we want to take this country back, then we need to get serious about getting involved. And one of the ways that we're going to do that is by electing people who have like-minded values and principles. So you can see that the chapters are growing uh 39 in british columbia 17 in alberta it's just amazing ontario think yeah look at that 44 prince edward island three chapters manitoba has three but i know that uh, there's a fourth one coming and it's just exploding across the can uh, across the country okay heather back to you please bring on our special guest
0: thank you always tanya for your updates It is my very great privilege to introduce you to the Honorable Brian Peckford this evening. Mr. Peckford was premier of Newfoundland and Labrador from 1979 to 1989. Fast forward 30 years and now we see how he has taken a very courageous and public stand against the current government's attack on Canadian democracy and the blatant violation of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Mr. Peckford is in a unique position to rise in defense of the Charter as he is the only living signatory and was involved in its creation. During his time as premier, Mr. Peckford was popular with the voters because he stood up for them. And he was often described as being bold and tenacious. Now, we are seeing how his tenacity and fervor is inspiring people all across this nation to stand up for their rights and freedoms. Please help me give a big welcome to the Honorable Brian Peckford.
2: Thank you very much.
1: welcome sir so good to have you on as our special guest again Whew. all right so what I'm going to do I'm going to just hand the floor over to you and whatever is on your heart and mind that uh, you have to tell our, our audience here we just can't wait to hear from you it's all well, good. Tanya
2: thank you very much thank you very much for having me again I greatly appreciate your invitation to come on again and speak to you and uh, your large and ever-growing numbers and chapters across the province. Almost every time I speak now and every time I'm asked a question either on my blog or in my email, and they ask me, what can I do as a Canadian? I say, join one of the chapters or create a chapter of Action for Canada. Right here in Parksville, On Vancouver Island, you have an unbelievably active chapter with Doug Doug Kitson, his wife, and many, many others. And we have been operating, uh, I have, and my wife, in coordination with your chapter here on many activities that we've done in the last number of weeks. So I want to acknowledge those people right here in my own community and to congratulate you and the other people who work with you in organizing these chapters across the country. They've been very, very valuable. And please, anybody who hasn't joined, please, please join, because you're doing excellent work, and I commend you.
0: Thank you. Now,
2: you're kindly welcome. You're kindly welcome. Now, there's always a lot of things on my mind. Every day that goes by, things tend to change or get amended somewhat. But uh, I want to just deal with two things first, and uh, then we can get into other issues as well. Often, um, people get confused between the Bill of Rights of Canada and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And when I give my talks, I usually start with saying, we all know that Canada was formed in 1867. And from 1867 until 1960, individual rights and freedoms were not written down anywhere in any document related to the law of Canada. Our individual rights and freedoms were protected by unwritten British common law and other customs that arose after 1867, okay? And so that was the basis of our protection as individuals on our rights and freedoms. It was unwritten law. In 1960, Prime Minister John Diefenbaker and his government passed the Bill of Rights. It became law in August 1960. But I want you to remember, it was a law of the federal parliament. It was not a law of all of the parliaments of Canada. Because if it was, it would have been the law of every province of Canada. It was just the law of one parliament and therefore only had jurisdiction or power over people who were under federal jurisdiction. In other words, it didn't have complete jurisdiction or power to protect the rights and freedoms of every individual in Canada. It was just a federal law. The difference between that and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is the Charter of Rights and Freedoms applies, is in the Constitution. And the Constitution is the supreme law of Canada, not of the federal government and just its jurisdiction, but all Canadians right across the country. So there's a big difference between a provincial law and a federal law and co- the constitution a provincial law applies to the provinces a federal law applies to the jurisdiction of the federal government the constitutional law if you will or the constitution applies to the whole nation by its very definition so therefore the constitution and the charter of rights and freedoms takes precedence over all the other laws in the provinces and the federal government. In section 52 of the Constitution Act of 1982, it says, the Constitution of Canada is the supreme law of Canada. So there you have it. It's clear, unmistakable. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms is what we are fighting for today because it applies to all Canadians and it is the Supreme Law of Canada. And it was passed in 1982 in the House of Commons, in the British Parliament. It was signed into law in April 1982 by Her Majesty the Queen right here in Canada. Some people are saying that it never, it never became law. Oh, yes, it did. It was passed by all the relevant parliaments, and it was signed off by the Queen. And when she signed that, In that 1982 Constitution Act, which also contained the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, there are statements which say, no more laws of England apply to Canada. All of Canada's laws in the future will be passed and completed in Canada. We don't need to go back to London anymore for any reference. We were totally and absolutely sovereign after the Constitution Act was passed. It was passed by all relevant parliaments. it was signed off by everybody that had to sign it, including the Queen, and it made Canada completely and absolutely sovereign. So everything after 82 that Canada wanted to do, they could do under that act, without any reference to any other country, including London, okay, or the United Kingdom, where a lot of us came from. And, of course, where we were crowned colonies before we became a nation. So I hope that's clear to everybody, because there's still some people who try to allege that the Bill of Rights is more important than the Charter. The Bill of Rights was very important in its day, don't get me wrong, and it's still a federal law. But it's not applicable to all Canadians, because it is a federal law. Remember, we are not a unitary state like the United Kingdom or like France, we are a federal state where there are certain powers in the provinces and there are certain powers in the federal government. That's why a federal act only applies to federal things, provincial act only applies to provincial things, but the constitution applies to both federal and provincial things. It is the glue that keeps the country together. It is the main document and the supreme law of Canada. And it was passed by everybody. It's I have it right here on a book right here. Uh, you can go in and, and find it for you. It was passed by everybody, uh, and, and that's on the books. Anybody can find out that it's not. A, it's not a secret. The Queen was here. She passed it. I was present when she when she signed it. Uh, so I'm I'm familiar with that as the only living first minister now uh, uh, who helped create and sign. The, the, the documents, leading to the Constitution Act. So that should be clear to everybody, and if anybody has any questions later about that, and I'm only too happy to answer them, but it's clear and unmistakable in law that the Charter is the document that applies to all of Canada. The Bill of Rights, important as it was in its day, as a federal act, only applied to federal jurisdiction or people under the federal law, okay? Now, secondly, a lot of people are asking me, we understand that you've taken an action against the federal government. And yes, I have taken an action through to the, against the federal government for one of their mandates. And it is their travel mandate. Uh, their travel mandate dictates that any person who's not vaccinated for this alleged uh, pandemic is alleged COVID cannot travel by plane or train across this nation. That violates one of the very important provisions of the charter, section six, which is mobility rights, which says any Canadian, all Canadians, from coast to coast to coast, have the right to travel anywhere in Canada or leave Canada. Well, with this federal mandate, That's not true. I'm a Canadian, and I'm not permitted to travel on a plane or a train to travel across this country. This has damaged and, what shall I say, violated the rights of a lot of Canadians and hurt a lot of Canadians. I don't mind relating to you two things in the last two days. I get anywhere from 250 to 600 emails a day, right to this very day. Okay. while I'm on this broadcast, I'll get quite likely 100 to 150 emails just in an hour, two hours. Okay. and I get a lot of phone calls. A lot of people are asking me questions. A lot of people want some hope and some assurance. And so I took an action against the federal government's travel mandate because I wanted to challenge these mandates. There's a lot of provincial mandates. There's a lot of federal mandates this particular federal mandate of travel applies right across the nation, right? From Tofino to Bonavista, from the Michalowit to Niagara Falls, okay? It applies to it all across. So that was one reason why everybody would understand right away uh, when I issued that challenge or issued that lawsuit because everybody is affected. Everybody has friends, family, business in different parts of the nation. We're used to traveling. It's a huge country. It's the second largest country in the world geographically. Only Russia is larger. Okay? We're larger than the United States. We're larger than Brazil. We're larger than China or India, which are big countries. We're the second largest country in the world geographically. And therefore, travel is very important. Remember, it was the railway that linked all of the country together. That was travel. That was a train. That's how important travel is to Canadians, right? It brought the country together. One of the reasons why all of British Columbia joined and all the Prairie provinces joined was because they would be linked uh, with the rest of the provinces that were forming to form Canada. So travel is critical. The river systems of Canada, right? In the early explorer days, the St. Lawrence Seaway, you know, the Mackenzie River, right? the Fraser River for fishing, the many other rivers uh, around all of our provinces are very important for travel. So travel is very important. So that was one reason why I chose that particular um, charter right to challenge the federal government because everybody would be affected and would understand it quite easily. Secondly, By taking a federal mandate, I immediately go to the federal court of Canada. Okay. And there's only one more step. Whoever loses at the federal court, either if I lose and the other people who are suing under my suit with me, if we lose, we're quite likely to appeal it to the Supreme Court of Canada. Or if the federal government loses, they're quite likely to appeal it to the Supreme Court of Canada. There's only one more step. All the other provincial mandates demand that you go to the provincial courts first, then to the Supreme Court of Canada. And that's three steps. Anybody, and there are many challenges, and should be, all of these provincial mandates should be challenged as well, and many of them are, but they have to go to two steps in the province first the trial division of the Supreme Court of that province and then the Court of Appeal of the Supreme Court of that province, and then to the Supreme Court of Canada. So it's a three-step process, and it's much longer. Mine only has a two-step. Mine and the other people who are part of the suit that I'm taking um, only has two steps. So it's anticipated that, therefore, my lawsuit will get through for a final adjudication quicker than the others. And hopefully, by doing that, it will impact positively, if we win, the other mandates. I mean, if we win this mandate against the federal government, it will say a lot about the other mandates that have been put in place by the provinces. It was registered on January the 26th of this year. Okay, so it is in the court now. It is registered. And we have the file number and all of that. And my lawyers who are the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms. Many of you are familiar with them. Uh, They have a number of lawsuits underway, a lot of them dealing with the Constitution, a lot of them dealing with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. They are perhaps the premier uh, group in Canada today that are fighting for the rights and freedoms of Canadians. I don't know if there's any other group in Canada that have launched as many lawsuits against the governments, provincial and federal, as the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. And so therefore, and that's who I'm using as well, plus they have hired some outside legal uh, lawyers as well to assist them because they're very, very busy. And if you go into their website, you'll see that they're always seeking more uh, lawyers to join them because they have so many people coming to them every day and every week uh, asking to be represented by them uh, in a legal suit against one of the governments, okay? So that's who's doing it. And uh, they have, as I said, in my particular case and with the other people who were uh, part of my lawsuit, the way way it works is that uh, I'm the sort of the lead claimant but there's five others named in my claim because what the Justice Center is doing is getting examples of how this travel mandate has affected different people. It affects me because I can't go across Canada and speak like I am in British Columbia on the constitution. It's too far away for me to drive from here to a speaking engagement even in Ontario will take a number of days, right? Whereas if I could fly, I could do several speeches while I'm traveling to Ontario. In, a, in four or five days, where I could only do one if I have to drive all the way to Ontario. It makes it and impedes and restricts my right as a Canadian to travel across my country under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, Section 6. Okay? So it's very important. So these other five people who are part of my lawsuit all give different examples. One is I have a business in Yellowknife and I have a business in Ontario. Now I can't travel to for my business my business is being negatively impacted but i was going to tell you about two examples that i just had people just calling me right out of the blue because they heard of me from programs like action for canada two mornings ago about eight o'clock in the morning nine o'clock in the morning i get this call from this young person in vancouver who says to me, are you Mr. Peckford, are you Brian Peckford? Yes, of course. Uh, I'm so glad I got you on the phone. I would just want to relate your, my story to you. And I know quite likely you can do very little to help me, but I, I'm glad I got you to tell you my story and how much I support what you're trying to do. We, My sister and I, they were only young people, like late teens, early 20s, live in Toronto, We have a grandmother who lives in South Africa. She is dying because of the vaccine. Not because of the virus, but because of the vaccine. She has enough money to pay our airline tickets from Toronto to South Africa to see her before she passes away. But Mr. Beckford, We can't travel because we have elected not to be vaccinated. And therefore, we had to inform our grandmother that we couldn't come to see her because of the laws of Canada preventing us from taking a plane. That was the day before yesterday. Yesterday morning, I heard from a gentleman who flew from Toronto to Vancouver Island, to see family. He had, unfortunately, a car accident, which injured him. He had a concussion and was told by the doctors he should not drive back to Ontario. He can't take a plane back or a train back. I don't know if there's any trains running right now, but he couldn't take a plane back because he elected not to get vaccinated, and he shall be losing his job as a result. These are real examples that I'm hearing every day by letter, snail mail, by email, and by phone call. And I know you know friends or friends no friends who know of other people who are in the like circumstance. But I want you to know from me that Um, I get these too. So I'm not isolated from what is happening. I'm very much a part of it. I have family right across the country. I have family in Ontario. I have family in Nova Scotia. I have family in Newfoundland. So I have three provinces besides any friends or business associates I might have. And I'm prevented from doing that. So I do fully appreciate and understand every day what many, many Canadians are going through. And this is how how else can you say it? this is a crime against humanity? This this is this is, uh, I mean, it's so hard to find words to describe what's going on, and to think that the press and still a majority of Canadians who don't listen to anything other than the mainstream media don't understand or know. We have family who don't understand what we're talking about. Like you have family, you don't understand what we're talking about, and so it it's not only distressing, it's perplexing and frustrating to know that these things are happening to people in our country, right? Uh, and yet so many people still don't understand. But take it from me that we are going to see this loss through. And you might ask the question, well, what about the mandate is lifted? Makes no difference. Federal government, you have broken the law for the last year or year and a half, whenever that mandate came in. You're not going to be excused because you lifted it now because of political reasons or other convenient reasons to you. You broke the law, and we're going to challenge it right all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada if, if we have to. So uh, I want you to understand that. If you, need, if you, if you feel like you, you want to support this, then you go to the Centre for Constitutional Freedoms, go to donate, and you'll go down and you'll see the list of lawsuits Mine will be there and you can contribute directly uh, to my lawsuit if you want or to the other lawsuits that the Justice Center has on the go. And the way it works is they, they do this for you and with the contributions they get, they pay their lawyers for uh, the lawsuit. If at the end of the day you lose, then hopefully they have enough money for your lawsuit to cover all your expenses. If they don't, then in that case, I shall have to pay Uh, And I'm willing to take that risk. That's not a problem. I'll take that risk.
1: We we so appreciate what it is that you're doing with this case. And I think um, that Canadians on a whole appreciate what it is you're doing, those who are awake and aware. And I don't think you would ever have to worry about taking that cost on yourself if you were to lose Uh, When we see what happens with a convoy, sir, I tell you, we will be there to support you and help raise those funds. Action for Canada is committed to that. I love the partnership that we have. I love how you were saying as well that you, in your own community in uh, Parksville, I know Doug, he is absolutely amazing. And it just, I think, is a comfort that Canadians across the board, whether you're a parent Um, an employee a business owner action for canada has something for you in order to support you and the other thing i want to say i agree one of the number one uh, questions that i've been asked as well is you know i have to travel uh, outside of the country i have a relative that is dying or unwell how do i get back in how do i get to quebec etc it has been so draconian And so this is definitely a battle that you've chosen very specifically to take on. And uh, we are wishing you uh, absolute success.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you very, very, very much. Very important, which you emphasize a lot, and your members is this. And I'm starting to push it more and more, partly as a result of what you have said and what your people have said. So I want to give you some credit here. uh, And I mean it. And that is... Somehow God has become a dirty word. Hmm. The preamble to the charter it's in the charter. The charter starts with this country is founded on the principles of the, on the supremacy of God and the rule of law. And judges have ignored that in their decisions relating to the charter. And I'm going to be highlighting that in everything I say I have been now in the last several weeks. I'm going to be highlighting it more because that's how the charter begins. And we've got to educate lawyers to go back and read the charter that they're trying to, uh, right, defend or, or that they're trying to interpret. And we've got to educate the judges. So the more that the chapters across this country with me and all the rest of the people can get out in public and talk about it, that the supremacy of God Mm. is in our charter. Absolutely. It is to me,
1: it is definitely a battle of good versus evil. Um, Throughout history, evil has risen up when people either became complicit or uh, just just unaware of what was going on as tyrants were rising up. Uh, Trudeau and his little mob, they, they were very strategic in what they were doing. They've been at this for 30, 40 plus years working towards this. And so I say what took them 40, we're going to undo in four. That gives us two more years. And that's, yes. I think, a, a really good goal because – as Canadians are becoming aware, as they're being pushed into a situation like all the federal workers who um, have to either get this deadly uh, you know, harmful jab or lose their job. I've been working the last few days. Uh, I'm, I'm always kind of working on this with specific people, but a gal that's in a city, uh, she was also working with the um, RCMP, highly qualified, and she wouldn't take the uh, vaccination, I use that term loosely, And so they tricked her into signing like an attestation saying, uh, yes, I'm going to take the vaccination or no. So she had clicked no and then signed her name. But below it, it said by signing, yes, you're agreeing that, you know, we'll be working with you and bringing you back to work. And by signing, no, uh, you know, you're going to be terminated and the trickery of what is going on. So we have been hitting the unions and the the HR person and including the mayor and city council. And I'm going to be putting those templates, uh, those letters on our template page because um, the union is all of a sudden sitting up straight. We have to talk the language. We have to let them know, this is what the charter of rights says. This is what the criminal code says. We are on the winning side of it. We just have to be educated and aware. And just real quick, back to um, my journey as far as uh, making God central is because six years ago, God laid it on my heart very specifically to proclaim Canada is a Christian nation. And at the time, I was thinking it was because of the flood of immigration that we were having, wherein people were not integrating and assimilating, which leads towards the destruction of a nation. And if we're going to continue to be a lighthouse to nations living in oppression, like the ones that I named at the beginning of the show, then we need to be able to stand up for our sovereignty. And we need to be proud of that and not shamed into being silenced, because that's the key. That's the technique they're using. Shame us. Um, If we go to 57 Muslim majority countries, are they being shamed for being Islamic um, and uh, basing their beliefs on the Quran? What's the difference between them and us being able to embrace proudly and be patriotic about what uh, we've been gifted right. with in this nation?
2: Right. Well, as we've seen through uh, Tamara Leash and the convoy, um, democracy ha- has declined in this country. We're no longer a democratic country as we speak today. We've got to restore. Yep. We- we've got a lot of work to do because we're behind the eight ball now. We've got to restore the charter. We've got to restore, the judges have got to understand that the people of this country are not going to put up with the way they've been acting. Imagine Mm -hmm. a liberal candidate, judge, right? A former liberal candidate being the judge to hear Tamara's case in Ottawa. Can you believe, where was the chief judge to say, you can't hear this case because you were a liberal candidate, you must excuse yourself? Or where was the judge herself? Well, she should have said, I can't hear this case because I have to excuse myself because I have a conflict right. of interest because I was a liberal candidate. I, I can't hear this case. She didn't. She heard the case, and she should not be allowed to be a judge. This is not no, democracy, she, and, and the chief judge no should have to re- be. No, no. And then when she came back in the court, she had shackles on, as yeah. if she was in China or Cuba. This is not Canada. This is not a democracy now. So people, you have to understand, uh, we're not talking about Canada being a beacon of democracy right now because we're not. We're not a beacon of democracy. When somebody like Tamara, who is innocent until proven guilty, goes into a court on a charge of what? Violence? No. Tyranny? No. Insurrection? No. No. Mischief? Some vague word? In the law to try to get her on some right trickery some kind of account she did nothing wrong she's before the judge and to come into court she had shackles on i thought that was a hundred years ago so canada is not a democracy when these kinds of things can occur and where to this very day it's being condoned by the majority of canadians where are the people in the streets complaining about this. I mean, everybody should be so revolted by this that they walk out of their houses, onto the streets, and say, enough is enough. We can't have this. So we have it all the way from our, right? We have it all the way from our parliamentary system to our executive system to our judicial system. It's corrupted. It's corrupted. And we have to stand strong to get this changed.
1: And we have to be and the way we're going to do that is to be active. Thank you. And what we need to do is there's a second wave of truckers coming across this nation. This battle is not done. We said it was going, uh, going to happen. And I think that um, one of the greatest things that could have happened was for Trudeau to put this uh, emergency act before the Senate. He didn't have the uh, support, so he quickly pulled out. Otherwise, there would have been a vote. And then as well, the banks were very upset because people were pulling their money out. Now, that's not actually a great thing. It's not like the banks were like, oh, my goodness, we care about, you know, uh, people's individual charter rights and freedoms. They were they had no objection to freezing. Their issue is, is that the digital ID system isn't set up and ready to launch yet. and And so we've got to hit this really you know swiftly we've got uh, pastor artur who's a political prisoner in um in in a remandment center in alberta
3: and alberta, action yeah.
1: for canada is yeah we're going to be taking some additional actions i'm very excited about it i i won't be presenting well, that we'll information just yet um and what we need to do as well is these judges who are in breach of the bench uh, we need to go public with this uh, we're going to, there's going to be another action that we're taking that is going to be launched throughout Alberta. Again, I won't uh, mention it until uh, we're ready to go. It'll be coming soon. Uh, but if you think about what these judges, Judge Germain, Olson and Judge Rook had done to Pastor Arthur, Pastor Stevens, etc., the uh, whistle stop um, owner, is that they've publicly had no consideration For shaming them and making them out like they were criminals so that when they go to the store or bank that they could very likely receive opposition and even put them in harm's way. So if we now rightfully without um, playing dirty like they did, but actually calling these judges out. Nothing defamatory, nothing libelous. It'll be on the facts of what they've done, and we publicly call them out so that when they go to the store, people recognize them and maybe have a conversation with them. They need to step down from the bench. They cannot continue to hide and uh, not be held accountable for this. And so, there's different things that Canadians can do to get involved and be active to start turning this around.
2: No, no question, and, and uh, the, the judges can be influenced the same way as the politicians can be influenced. And we need to consider the following. If you look at where the legal actions are going now, including mine, okay, let, let's just set up a scenario which is the most likely scenario to happen, is this, is that there may be between 20 and 30 people in Canada who will decide whether our charter is restored or not whether the, right, the things that are in the Charter that we're arguing for are restored to their rightful place and they're not violated by governments again with the proper decisions from the court. It will be the courts of appeal of the provinces and the Supreme Court of Canada. Okay? The likely scenario is that maximum, quite likely, of about five provinces will see things go to their courts of appeal. Those courts of appeal are likely to be a maximum of three judges each. Five provinces, 15 judges. Then it will get appealed to the Supreme Court of Canada, total of nine. Nine and 15 is 24. Over the next two years, two to three years, it's likely That between 20 and 30 individuals, unelected individuals, part of the judiciary of Canada, will decide whether our charter fails or succeeds. That's how unbelievably critical what we're doing is now. We have to influence those courts of appeal. We can't do it sort of directly. It's sort of against the traditions of Canada. But we can do it indirectly through public displays. That's like what's happening in Victoria almost every week now on Vancouver Island. Like last week was close to 13,000 people down at the legislature in Victoria. We need all the legislatures in Canada to see thousands of people turn out on a regular basis once a week or whatever is possible so that these demonstrations impact those judges So that when they sit down to consider that case when it comes to them, they are familiar that the people of this nation want to see their charter restored to its rightful place and not mangled around by public health officers, mangled around by lower court judges who are not looking at all the facts and who are discarding certain parts of the charter and emphasizing certain other parts of the Charter, which is not their job. They have to consider all of the Charter that's relevant to that case, including the supremacy of God and the rule of law.
1: Well, can I I ask you this? And then actually speaking of that, we'll get to questions. I'll be asking you a few. We'll try to get through as many as possible and then uh, people be prepared to raise your hand, ask it very specific. To honourable Peckford, and uh, we're going to put a time limit on it because I'm sure there's many people with questions. But when you say about restoring the charter, I look at it differently. That we're to stand, stand on the charter, we have not lost these rights. Uh, we've capitulated and given them away. All Canadians need to do is stop complying. And I'll talk about one of your favourite people, Barney Henry. All right. I I knew that would be welcome. Um, You know, Bonnie Henry is the health officer in B.C., for those of you who don't know. And uh, Brian and I have had conversations uh, regarding this lady who has largely overstepped. And the reason is, is because she has been fully groomed to take this agenda on with the globalists. Uh, she has been in uh, pandemic preparedness uh, courses. Uh, she has been in meetings where she, this is like in 2012, I believe it was, where she openly said that yes, there comes a time to violate, violate people's charter of rights, including to forcefully give them uh, a vaccine and to quarantine them. I believe the, I forget the other doctor's name when she gave this. So here she's putting these orders through and she's actually saying there are times when, you know, I get to override your of rights for the good of everybody. And and yet we know that is 100% false, it's a lie and uh, that's one of the reasons why we're proclaiming the truth and that there is nothing if they have not demonstrably proved that we are in a pandemic whether at the federal level provincial level wherever it is at uh they can they cannot implement it so every order that's been signed every direction that the government has given is absolutely not worth the paper it's written on
2: absolutely no question and i just uh produced a, a blog post last night on peckford42.wordpress.com, which, uh, you know, I, I opened my blog by saying outrageous. You know, another public mm-hmm. health order yesterday where she, as a non-lawyer, a non-elected official of the province, is allowed by the premier and the minister and the legislature to uh, uh, opine upon a constitution that she knows nothing about. She's not a lawyer. She's only a, a, some kind of a, a medical uh, expert of some sort uh, who's been given all kinds of powers by the province. I mean, the premier and the minister who are, are the ones who are responsible to us, not Bonnie Henry. She's responsible to them. And, and they've got it all turned around. They've got it all twisted around. And you're right. Even if section one of the constitution of the charter applies in this case, they have to demonstrably justify what they're doing. And no government in Canada has demonstrably justified what they're doing. And therefore, they're violating the charter. And the other part of the other test is it's got to be done within the context of a free and democratic society. And that means that their parliaments must be involved. That's what a democratic society means, that we have a parliamentary democracy. And yet the parliaments very often are closed. There's no select committee of any government across Canada, which is overseeing on behalf of the people what the government is doing. So right. the, the charter is being violated all over the place, even by people who are not even lawyers. Where is the Department mm-hmm. of Justice of the British Columbia government when, when they're allowing a public health officer to speak for them? I mean, it's, uh, where's the Minister of Justice? Where's the Attorney General? I mean, this is a, uh, this is a scandal of the First Order and totally outrageous. If this was happening overseas... Well, We'd be saying, you know, they haven't got a democracy like Canada got. Well, it's happening yeah. in Canada today.
1: Well, and this is when uh, what happens when all levels of government have been infiltrated. That's why I've said they've had this stage uh, prepared for some time. Bonnie Henry has deep, deep ties to the World Health Organization and Bill Gates. Uh, you know, that's why I say that the health officers across Canada, once you start researching them and see their background, they all have ties. And so then we would look to, okay, where do we seek justice? That was one of the questions that's coming. What do you have to say about the governor general not doing their job? I mean, Justin Trudeau is the prime minister that has the most uh, violations, ethics violations. He's definitely broken the law. He's a criminal, but they've done this intentionally. They don't care. Bonnie Henry knows the constitution. I'd have to say she knows the Constitution, she knows the Charter of Rights, but they're walking all over it with the objective to bring in a fascist state. And and how do we go if there's no governor general, if our RCMP are not investigating and doing the arrests, do we as people walk into their offices and start doing citizens' arrests? What's, what's the option?
2: Yeah, well, I think on the governor general side... Um, because of the way our constitution is our cons- constitution is constructed to be, as we speak today, the BNA Act and any amendments that were done to it over the years and the Constitution Act of 1982, okay? Plus customs and conventions. They're still alive and well. So our constitution is not just the BNA Act and the Constitution of 1982. The customs and conventions still apply. And one of the problems we've got with the governor general, is that over time, the governor general, and especially since 1982, um, the queen and the queen's representatives in Canada have taken on a lesser and lesser role from the point of view of having power. And all they do now is function, they're only symbols, and they're functionally just signing the orders in council from the cabinets of the various governments. So over time, they, they the power has weaned from them to the parliament completely and to the prime minister. And so uh, an argument can be made that in the same way as Trudeau lost in court when he tried to unilaterally patriate the constitution because of convention, we quite likely could use and lose in the court as it relates to the power of the governor general, where the power now rests and where people have got to put most of their lobbying is their MLAs, their MPs, their ministers provincially and federally, because that's where the power resides in our Constitution today. It's with the elected, and especially Mm -hmm. the Senate, yes, still has a role to play. But the Senate's power is very diminished as well and can be overridden by the House of Commons at the end of the day. At the end of the day, Mm -hmm. the House of Commons rules, even though the Senate can delay and put pressure on it. I think that the emergency act was removed quickly because the investment community said, Mr. Prime Minister, Mr. Minister, they got hold of the government through their channels, which they have open all the time. Um, we're not investing in this banana republic anymore. Unless you remove that emergency act, uh, that, you, you know, we're not gonna invest anymore. So I think it was more the investment community both nationally and internationally that affected the uh, the decision than even the Senate, even though the Senate was having second thoughts about it. I think at the end of the day, the Senate quite likely would have passed it, although by a reduced majority firm would have, where it would have been a week earlier. But the, the key to us having a positive impact and making the changes we want is through the elected people, both in the provinces and in the federal government.
1: And, you know, and the other thing that I want to give people encouragement on on this is about it's got to be nearly five and a half or six weeks ago. Action for Canada uh, started a campaign. This is what I've been doing pre-COVID is doing these campaigns against whatever bad legislation was coming through to the House and appealing to MPs. And of course, first, the government had a majority, the Liberals. Then we worked really hard and they ended up in a minority, but they had the support of the NDP. And uh, so just continuing to work. And then the Conservative Party went so far left, we didn't have any support really from them either. Um, What we ended up doing about almost six weeks ago is this campaign saying, reach out to the Liberal MPs, tell them that uh, we're going to be holding them to account. What they're doing is illegal. We're coming for them. They need to be thinking about personal liability because they have felt, whether they've been only in since uh, last fall that they got elected or six years, They've been feeling like they were uh, above, um, like sitting in a high place and untouchable. What we did in doing this is then three, this, this was in coinciding, of course, with all the millions of Canadians stepping up with the truckers. And because of that public force and, and they could see, oh, my goodness, Canadians are rising up in unity, then we hit them with an accountability And three MPs ended up speaking out within a week of this campaign starting. So it wasn't just because of what Action for Canada was doing. It was because of the public display. And so they were probably starting to think, hmm, liability could be something we're going to face based on, you know, the egregious crimes that we've been committing because there's no doubt they know what they've been doing to people. Then what happened is Trudeau put the Emergency Act in place and they gave them that sense of relief. Ah, we're back in control again. And so they all voted in favor of it. Now they've lost that power. And I believe it is a time to engage again and very strongly be applying this campaign to the Liberal MPs. And that's why I say make a public presence outside their office, whether they're there or not. The public needs to know what they've done. And, and so these are the reasons we're very strategic about the campaigns we're doing. And then as well, getting good people ready to run for office. And the final thing I'll say in the Global Compact on Migration and 17 Sustainable Development Goals, one of the huge parts of that agenda was that they were using the municipalities to implement their agendas because they are closest to the people. And you can see how that has worked in implementing the COVID-19 measures. And that's as well why we need to go after those mayors and individuals who have been fully on board with this, even though they have been made aware via notices of liability and other information they've been given. Keep the records, keep track, because we're hoping there's gonna be many more of the Bruno Days, who is the 17-year-old SS guard, who ended up um, making sure and ensuring that prisoners during World War II could not escape. And in July of 2020, they took him to court and he was found guilty of over 5,200, they called it, murders. And he said, but I was only a guard. They said, you were complicit. You saw what was going on every elected official who has not spoken up we need to keep track and document this and it may be some time before we get them but we're going to go get them we're going after them to bring justice this has been horrendous okay yeah, let's get not- to oh. questions okay okay all right so uh let's let's see how many we can do it says what is needed to prosecute a sitting pm <laughs>
2: Well, what you need to do is is is, is, is get a lawyer who will um, bring a, a, a case against the PM. Um, uh, the other way is, of course, a, a a a a resolution of non-confidence in the Parliament by one of the opposition parties uh, to bring a, a motion of non-confidence. But to actually go to court to uh, to indicate that he's per- the Prime Minister is personally liable because of the uh, violations of the Charter, for example, um, then you you would have to do what I did. You'd have to go to have to go to court and get a lawyer to uh, initiate uh, legal action on your behalf. That's that's how you would do. Right. It. Or otherwise, you have to do it through the the legislature. Either do it through a premier uh, at the local level, or you try to get a number of MLAs to. Um, even if you could get just two or three MLAs in a, in a province to go into the legislature, right, and make a motion of non-confidence in the premier, that would get headlines and would highlight the issue. So you don't, you don't even have to get it passed. But if you can get one or two MLAs to stand up in their legislature and say, you know, I, I present Mr. Speaker the following motion in which you show non-confidence in the premier and in the government because of their illegal unconstitutional mandates, that would help. That would exert pressure upon the government of the day in that particular province. So you can either do it legally through the courts, or you can try to do it through the various legislatures of the provinces and the federal government.
1: Okay. And would the same apply to the Prime Minister? I know, for instance, Action for Canada, Justin Trudeau is named in our statement of claim as a defendant. Yeah. And the long-term yeah. goal is is that uh, we're, we're going to pursue justice, not only to challenge it constitutionally, but eventually criminally.
2: Yeah, okay. a- absolutely. Uh, and to make those persons liable. Exactly.
1: What penalties are in place for the infringement on our rights under the Charter? Does the Crimes Against Humanity and War Crimes Act apply?
2: The Crimes Against Humanity, the, 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 no, the, the, the laws that apply directly are the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And, of course, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is a constitution. It's not a law which details all of the penalties. That will be up for the judge to decide, and it will be also up to the lawyers as to what they propose as the punishment if, in fact, they're found guilty. So that's a, an, an right. issue that will come, unless it's a criminal code. But if it's a charter, right. then it will be uh, uh, penalties that the judge deems appropriate for the violations that he finds that the person is guilty of. And that's the way it works. So the charter is different than an, your regular law. The charter is interpreted by the judiciary because it's establishment of principles as opposed to a detailed criminal code
1: okay and i would imagine that um you know i know for action for canada on top of the notices of liability with unions and really draconian type of uh, either business owners or employers were now filing private informations, criminal charges against individuals, uh, criminal code of extortion and intimidation. Um, many people of course have uh, verbalized their extreme concerns that the government is actually committing murder. Uh, do you think that it will ever go to an international court as it did with the Nuremberg Code?
2: I, I doubt it, but it could but I doubt it, I doubt it you you'd have to mount you know you, you have to have a fair a lot of resources and and really good legal people it, It's possible for it to happen, but I think in the first instance to have it happen in its own country you have to you have to find the government in its own country through its own laws guilty, then you may be able to take it to the international court of justice. I think to go without uh, exploring your own and, and exhausting your own laws first right. would be, I think, the first way to go. And therefore, with that guilty plea, with that guilty verdict, I mean, by, by the courts, then you have uh, you can mount a pretty strong case at the international court. Right. But these international organizations, as as important as they are, they can get hazy in how they fuse with national sovereignty and national law. And And I'm not familiar with the interpretations that have been made to date by the international court when that kind of fusion or that kind of blending occurs, right? So I think we really should put our efforts, especially in the next couple of years, on getting uh, the the government uh, before our courts and found guilty. Then we can move to the international court. I don't think we should do it the other way around.
1: Okay, I agree. And we see what's just happened in New Zealand as well, where the courts ruled uh, uh, against their, um, their leader. <laughs> and we were very pleased to see that I think that we're going to see more of that that may set a precedent for other countries as well. But I um, i want to encourage people you know they say what's going on with action for canada's legal action well we know that rocco became very ill Uh, i look forward to the day that he's going to be able to publicly tell his story uh their team is still working on the cases so don't be concerned about that uh people wanted instant answers and, and help and i know that but Uh, It took much corruption to get us here, and we need to have the expert witnesses. We have retained those. Rocco has retained those world-renowned expert witnesses, and uh, we will be pursuing this uh, until the day of completion. So, so don't be concerned. Uh, We will, we have had ours adjourned until um, April uh, because the defendants had moved to strike on our case, which was what we had expected. Uh, Nothing less, they weren't going to say we're guilty. You know, let's not proceed further. Take me in. (laughs) So the motion to strike will be heard in April. Okay. Uh, Did you want to add anything else uh, to the other comment or are we good to go to the next question?
2: Uh, just on the New Zealand thing, the New Zealand court, mm-hmm. I, I think they must have picked up the words from Canada because I think their Bill of Rights came after our Charter of Rights because the judge actually used the words demonstrably justify," and that the government hadn't demonstrably justified that they could go yes. ahead and do what they were trying to do. So that was a, a delightful thing to see and uh, really encouraged me in, in uh, how valuable those words were. And I do remember, by the way, I'd like your peop- your audience to know, I remember when there was only justify in that sentence. Yes. And it got changed. We changed it, several of the premiers at the time, and delegations said, we want that stronger. That's why demonstrably was put in there. That's very, very important because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it strengthens the verb justify, that you just, just don't justify, you got to go out of your way to justify yes. and that's what makes it so strong, and that any judge worth their salt will have to really confront that those two words when they deal with the charter when these cases go before them.
1: Yes, right. And when we get it to the uh, the, the Supreme the Court of Canada. Right. Yes, Yes. you know it's going to be making quite a difference there. And I remember when and when you came on the show originally back in November, and you talked about the word demonstrably, right? Yes, Uh, yes, Yes. without doubt, we need to know that we're in a pandemic. They they didn't even reasonably, in any way, show that we are in an emergency. Okay, so the next question is what will impact what will be the impact of the pending treaty with the UN have on the Constitution, if there is another pandemic, and we know there will be who in Canada is to sign this agreement, and how can we stop it. And just for myself, I want to say we've got to remember the UN is an unelected body interfering with our democracy and my goal is that every time i talk to maxine bernier or derek sloan or everyone else it's like will you be willing to pull us out of the un (laughs) because i've had about enough of them anyways go ahead
2: well i don't i don't think uh, i don't know that particular uh, act or agreement they're talking about Uh, the the only really agreements that i think can really stick are the international trade agreements and Canada's already signed that Pacific Partnership one that President Trump got out of, where I think some of our sovereignty is already threatened. Okay, so I would be more concerned with those international trade agreements because they do have a process of tribunals and and arbitrations and, and uh, hearings like the the free trade agreement with the United States and Mexico has. So, and that international trade agreement, that Pacific partnership one, uh, and the one with, with Europe as well. Our, our, I know the one, the Pacific one, does have certain provisions where our sovereignty could be threatened. And uh, uh, I think both parties have gone along with this. All the mainstream parties have gone along with this. And I think that's a real, real danger. As far as the UN goes and any agreement, I'd, I'd have to take a hard look at it because I'm not so sure it will have as much strength as those international trade agreements. There's a lot of talk about these you know, various agreements and a, a lot of people, you've got to do a lot of research on that because, like I say, I'll just repeat again, I think those international trade agreements have a lot more legal strength to be implemented than do the UN agreements for some of the reasons you just gave of being unelected and so on. And they don't have the same framework, legal framework to them as do, as does those trade agreements do, Okay. So I, I think that's, that's where... Now, that's not to say that these other na- international agreements are, are, are good. They're not. And, and as they get compiled, then, you know, one on top of another, then they gain more strength and then perhaps can be used at some point in the International Court of Justice. All of these things uh, do go to the very core of a nation state. And what is a nation state? And here's my argument, Right and I've thought a lot about this over the years since I got out of politics, especially, and that my view is, is that the world is best served by nation states, which can define their borders through history and through culture and through language, okay? Mm -hmm. Therefore you have an identity. When you get out, it's like a moral compass, it's like God. When you don't have a moral compass, your civilization is going to fail. When you don't have a history and a culture and an identification as a person, as a nationality, right, your civilization is going to fail. And then after you have the nation states, these identifiable nation states, because of history and culture, do agreements with other nation states, which don't infringe upon each other's sovereignty. I can still trade my wheat without giving away my sovereignty. I can still buy something that we can't produce an orange into Canada without giving away my sovereignty. We don't need to give away our sovereignty to have trade. But in order for civilization and for people to be people and individuals to be individuals, we need and must have nation states and moral compass. Both go together, then you've got a civilization.
1: I love it, and that's where trendy. You could do an applaud on that one. Please bring on an <laughs> applaud because um, I just love what you just said. It touches to the core of my being and the bottom of my heart. The Bible actually talks, God created borders so that we would have sovereignty and nations under God need to protect that. And there's a document that many people do not talk, talk about or even know about, and it's the Coronation Oath, which was signed by the Queen in 1953, committing that Canada would be governed by uh, biblical Christian principles. And that document has never been amended. It stands today. And so therefore, anything that's come after it that is not in line with the biblical Christian principles should be rescinded. And when we get the right government in place, that is going to be something I'm campaigning for. So I love what you said. We have a right to our sovereignty. We have a right to our God-given rights and the democracy that we've set up and our founding fathers gifted us with and we need to come together as patriots in this nation and defend that very core so thank you we're gonna bring on do you have a few more minutes we're gonna bring on a couple of guests so that they can personally chat with you all right this is fantastic what a great night all right terenzio
4: all right uh mr peckford it's an honor to have you on the show thanks for coming back and joining us first we have lena and We're gonna put a two minute timer on, so one minute to ask the question and one minute to answer, if at all possible. Lena, are you there?
5: Oh, hello. Um, The first one, very quick, um, would you ever run for office again?
4: I'll be
2: 80 August 27th this year. I know,
5: but you're spry, you're spry. (laughs) (laughs) I just want you to know that I would vote for you in a heartbeat. I I have to tell you that, I I respect you that much. so, so bear it in mind. Um, you know, I just want to know. You know, with this latest um, um, Bonnie Health, uh, Bonnie Health, Bonnie Henry uh, non-health uh, uh, mandate, um, could I explicitly tell my college? that I do not consent to my private data being released by the public health office or to the public health office because their purpose is release the private information. We're going to go into her private immunization record and we will tell you what her status is. That's how they're phrasing this now. So can I um, alert them that I do not consent?
2: I would if I were you.
5: Yeah, okay.
2: Yeah. Yep. That's that's what I thought, but I just wanted to, you know, and, and, and stand on the charter, security of the person. Exactly. Stand on the charter. Stand on the charter, and just keep repeating it. Stand on the charter. You have, you know, you 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 have that right, right, to your own person. So security of the person, and life, liberty, and security of the person covers off what you're talking about. And I think very often people, um, and I understand it, and I, I might. I might do the same thing under other circumstances, uh, say, respond the same way. But when I'm in public meetings and I'm asked questions like that, and I go back and I say, for now, for now in this individual rights and freedoms kind of thing, because that's the question you're asking, okay? Mm -hmm. Listen to me really closely now. Listen to me really closely. For now, in this particular circumstance that you're describing, okay, put aside the provincial laws put aside the the federal laws okay mm-hmm. put put them aside and say that to your to the people that you're speaking to this is a charter right this is a constitutional right and under section 52 the constitution is the supreme law of canada and applies in my case and you have no right to interfere with my life, liberty, and security of the person. And, and, and that's what we have to emphasize. We're talking about our Constitution, which applies to all Canadians. That is the supreme law. And don't get waylaid with our provincial and federal uh, human rights codes. That's what right. I was trying to come. They're important in their own right, within their own jurisdiction. But overriding on top of that, on top of that, is our charter rights. Mm-hmm. perfect
1: now would it be would it be um, prudent then to include the uh, criminal code in this as well with extortion and, and intimidation that if they do not provide this information, X, y and z will happen
2: yeah yeah or, or coercion I, I like the word coercion better because it, it it covers uh, all kinds of circumstances right and coercion is a used word that's used in the law too, especially at the constitutional level when you're arguing this. Coercion is usually a word which uh, the, the law really, and the judges don't like, right? When, when somebody's being coerced mm-hmm. to do something against their will, right? Which is very basic to uh, democratic principles, okay? It goes back, you know, goes back in time. It goes back in the Greek times, right? So th- this business of a state coercing somebody, right? is very, very germane to, to the law and to the constitutions. Uh, the criminal code is more, can be used, don't get me wrong, can, can be used, but it's more in the more legalistic, right, law sense of federal law and provincial law. When we talk about constitutional law, right, we're talking about it in a more general sense. And, and therefore, see, the general has more power in the constitution, just as much power in the constitution as the specific as in the federal law. You understand my point, okay? If you go read any, any you can pick up any uh, Supreme Court of Canada decision uh, tonight and just read it. A- and you will see as the judges are going through that case that they talk about intention, okay? Like I talk about intention for section one of the charter. I don't think section one even applies to the pandemic. I remember why it was put in there. The intention was for war and insurrection. And this so-called pandemic, this manufactured emergency, is not even, you know, it doesn't even meet the test of insurrection and peril to the state. So Section 1 doesn't even apply. That's my, that's my real contention. And then I go on to say, even if it does apply, it doesn't meet the test anyway. So therefore, on both counts, it fails, right? But to come back to my, my major point, And I'm reading more and more um, uh, decisions of the Supreme Court every day when I get a chance, even a half an hour. I'll just go in and read a few pages, even back to the decision of 81 that Trudeau lost. And as you read these judges pronounce over the law and interpret the law, you'll find a lot of this business of intent, what is reasonable. The word reasonable is used a lot, right? What was the intent of the law? Very important. What did the creators of this law mean by this when they wrote it? Right? And also the whole issue of coercion. Very pervasive in how the judges look at interpreting the law, right? Uh, the Constitution, I mean. And, and, and because remember, the Constitution is different than ordinary law in that it's, it's a statement of principles, a statement of values. We use the word values right values are general propositions of principles to do with moral compass right to do with spirituality to do with uh, the uh, the golden rule right to do with fairness that's what remember the the opening words of the uh, American Constitution right and all the way to the pursuit of what of happiness even the word happiness the pursuit of happiness right so That's what I think in trying to articulate this to make sense for people in this particular conversation we're involved in now, understand that the Constitution stands above because it stands for principles. It stands for values as much as it stands for anything else.
4: Thank you, Lena, very much for your question. Next, we have Chris. Mm -hmm. Chris, are you with us?
6: I am. I think one of my questions might have already been answered. So are you able to hear me? <laughs> yes. If,
4: yes. We we have we do have a few questions. So if you could take a minute to ask your question, and Brian right. will take a minute, and we'll go on to the next. Thank you.
6: Thank you, Brian, for answering my first question. It was actually about the distinction between the the federal and I guess the overarching ones um, in relation to, like, to the previous question. Um, like my employer. Um, has mandated certain things, and I've heard from certain lawyers that the charter doesn't apply to individualized employers. Like, if you're not a provincially or federally regulated industry, the, the charter does not apply. Is that correct? In,
2: in- there, there is confusion in the interpretation by various court decisions, and the property rights did not get in the final draft of the charter. Many of us are good for it, but it was a compromise. And so if there's no federal or provincial regulation, it will be more difficult to defend in light of the charter. Okay. So that's- but if it, is, if it has anything to do with the governments at all, provincial, federal, or, or municipal, then it completely applies.
6: Yeah. Okay, perfect. And, like, like, I work for a university, so it's kind of an ambiguous gray area. The university
2: is a public uh, institution.
6: Oh it is. okay, because I've been, it's been a gray area. I've been people told it's a oh, private oh, entity. Oh, all, okay. oh, oh, oh. <laughs>
2: oh what university? Uh University of New Brunswick
6: in uh, Fredericton, actually. Oh no,
2: that's a that's a public university. Oh. It gets money from the, the the province. It's regulated by the province. listen, under the constitution, education is provincial. And so your university is completely covered by the charter.
6: Oh. That is wonderful to know because they kept saying I, it was a pseudo. They accused me of a pseudo legal theory by invoking the charter because uh, I have religious reasons for not getting vaccinated. And They said no, they're, oh they're justified so, so, Yeah. Oh, I'm,
2: so glad, I'm so glad you're on this call tonight, man. Oh man, they're trying to they're trying to snowball you. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I got that
6: impression. Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, oh, you better go back. And if you want to you want to write me on this or contact me on this, I'll be only too happy to sign my name to something.
6: Wonderful. I really appreciate that. Uh, and in good news, though, my union is actually which is Unifor is actually going to arbitration with my case, which I'm surprised because I don't know if you're familiar with the president has said some pretty. Um, interesting things about unvaccinated people. So I'm, I'm appreciative that they are actually taking my case to arbitration at least, but um, I don't know. That's still probably months away. Yeah.
4: Thank you for- Sir,
2: you keep pushing that charter. You keep pushing that charter. You keep pushing that charter. That university is completely under the got gu- under the charter of rights and freedoms.
6: I appreciate you saying thank you very much for clarifying that. <laughs> uh,
4: next we have uh, Marine. I hope I said that right. Marine, are you with us?
5: Marianne.
0: Sorry yeah, Marianne, hi. Thank you. Right.
5: Yeah, um, I'm, an, I'm an Aboriginal person and I'm under the Indian Act, but I I guess the Charter of Rights um, has precedence over that, correct? Yes. Okay, I didn't know about that, so thank you.
2: Oh, yes. <laughs> I
5: haven't really been harassed or anything because I'm fortunate enough to be a retired school teacher so I didn't have to go through COVID. So I'm still receiving right. my pension unless the government decides to freeze it at some point in the future, but we hope- No, to- they
2: can't do that. No, yeah. they can't do that. Yeah, okay, and you're thank completely you. covered under the Charter. Remember in the Charter, we actually identify, right? Section 35 identifies for the first time and, and, and recognizes, right? The rights of Aboriginal people and the treaties of Aboriginal people. And Aboriginals actually define for the first time who are Aboriginal, the Métis, the
4: Innu, and the Inuit. Thank you very much for your question. Next, we have Paulette. Paulette, are you with us?
5: Yes, I am. Thank you very All much. Right. Hello, Mr. Peckford. I did see you in your interview with Dr. Jordan Peterson. And the question that I have is, what do you think the legacy media or how is the legacy media treating your circumstance of the, the lawsuit that's coming up? Because you mentioned to Dr. Peterson that you wanted to announce it with his on his podcast because of the um, the reaction that you were concerned you were going to get from the legacy media?
2: Well, the long and short of it is the legacy media shut me out about a year and a half ago. There was a time when I would write the National Post or the Globe and Mail or the Times columnist here on Vancouver Island or Vancouver Sun, and they would carry it or acknowledge my letter and get back to me and say, it's a bit too long. Can we shorten it up or whatever? But, you know, it's an important point and we need to carry it. And then we would negotiate and and shorten it down or do whatever we had to do and get it published. Well, as soon as I started to enter the the fray as it relates to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the mandates and so on, suddenly I was shut out completely. No media cover me now. No legacy media cover me. I'm only covered by people like Tanya's organization and other such organizations. They don't care anything I say or anything I write. None of them go into my blog and use it as a as a launching pad to write something about what i said they, they've completely so when my lawyers and i were talking about how we were going to announce my legal thing it came to me that i knew that mr peterson wanted to have me on his program and even though he was on the world tour when i got hold of him he dropped everything and within a few hours set up to do this interview with me and so it was through his program that i launched that i announced that i was launching the lawsuit. Thank
7: you for Mr. Peters. Mm.
4: All right. Next, th- thank you for your question. Next, we have Allison. Allison, are you with us?
7: Hello. Hi. Hi there. Um, so wonderful to uh, hear from you today, and, and you do give me hope. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask quickly, um, just maybe to make it a two-parter. They're, they're unrelated. But first of all, does he – If the emergency order was to be once again, say, fraudulently invoked, (laughs) um, would it supersede or or, uh, override the charter?
2: No. In the preamble to the emergency act, in the act itself, is this emergency act is subject to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, written right in the act itself.
7: Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Um, and just for a second, if if a person has a, a pension, a registered pension plan uh with Cooperative Superannuation Society, uh, and something happens with the whole digital ID, uh, and I'm entitled to get my pension out as early as 50, and that gets frozen, um <laughs> what what do people do in a case like that?
2: Wow, that one I don't know. I can't I can't answer that directly. Okay. I'd have to know more about that pension plan and how it was set up. But um, is, is, this, is there government involved in any way?
7: Well, not that I'm aware of. I, I got it through a, a career in the credit union system, and they're, they're in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, uh, okay. the Cooperative Superannuation Society, and that's all I really kind of know about it.
2: Yeah, but they're registered under the province and are regulated by the province. So there would be... Uh, you, you need to check this out with a lawyer. Okay. Uh, and it wouldn't cost you very much to just to ask that question and, and get an answer. But I would suspect that cooperative, because it's registered by the province and regulated by the province, and then perhaps even under some federal legislation, that the charter would apply.
7: Okay, great. I will do that. Thank you so much.
4: Okay. Next, we have Genevieve. Genevieve, are you with us?
3: I am, thank you for taking the question. I look at things a little differently than you do, Mr. Peckford. I really think that the parliament is no longer in control of the country. And uh, Mr. Ford gave evidence of that when he said that no premier or prime minister is above their health uh, officer. (laughs) Well, and you alluded to it when you talked about Bonnie Henry, and how outrageous oh. it is, what is happening in BC. So,
2: oh, but, but let me let me just interject interject. Bonnie Henry was given the power by the Parliament of BC. Every public health officer was given the power. This is the great trick that the politicians are playing on you. Ultimately, it was the Legislative Assembly of Ontario which gave the power. To the public health officer, they can take it away tomorrow morning.
3: That's right. So they they still should have the power, but there's... no, they, they do have the power, right? They do, but they're, they're not have acting. The they're not acting as exactly. though they do. So exactly, I think that we have been taken over by an outside entity, and that they are being coerced and threatened in all parliaments. So well, could, that
2: could very well be. I don't know that. Then, you know, there could be somebody. Some of the big farmer people might be controlling Doug Ford. I don't know. But the power of the legislature and the power of the parliament is still there to do whatever we want those elected people to do. Our problem is, is that we've been sitting back and not pushing our MLAs and our MPs to do what we want.
3: What do you think of the armed forces pushing?
2: Where they can, they should.
3: So if it came to it. And they did. Would you be willing to head up an interim government until we get this mess sorted out?
2: Well, of course, I would. Okay. Very, very. Interim. Great.
3: Thank you very much. Very interim. Thank you very much. That's it for me. All right.
4: And- All right. Thank you for your thank question.
1: You, Genevieve. OK, and thank you to everyone for your questions and especially to you, Honorable Peckford. I know it's Brian between you and me. You have become a fast friend of mine. I I really appreciate you so much. We have jumped into this war together, you know, several months ago, and there are so many incredible people that we are working side by side. I just want everybody to know that these organizations across Canada, um, you know, are closely aligned and where we're not doubling over on something we are promoting. And uh, Mr. Peckford, we support you in your uh, legal action that you're taking. We encourage people to donate to that. We encourage people to sign up for your blog. Sheila, if you could post that uh, fresh in the chat, then everybody could uh, maybe collect that link. This is your webpage, and this is where the magic happens to keep up to date, I would imagine, on everything that you are currently up to. And I understand that you have a lot of followers as well, so you have the ability to have an incredible impact.
2: Well, right now, uh, they, like today, quite likely eleven or 12,000. Uh, it goes mm-hmm. from some days low on the weekends of eight or 10,000 to a high of 20,000 in midweek. And uh, that, uh, that blog is international. And uh, there are weeks when I have 64 countries reading my blog.
1: Well, that's exciting. I I love it. I don't know if you saw some of the UK news with Justin Trudeau visiting. And uh, we have some real allies there. We have people on the ground that were protesting. I won't even repeat what it was they were saying uh, about Justin Trudeau. They did call him a dictator. Uh, He is world renowned. I, I always say that his father would be very proud of him. And I'm not talking about Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Uh, because a dictatorship, I think, is what he attains to, and uh, you know he feel like he feels like he's arrived, and uh, he is going to be dethroned in the future. I feel very confident about, confident about that, thanks to the work of people like yourself i can't um, even imagine two years ago you know what you must have been doing in your life and and thinking that you would be here and now advocating for the very document that you poured. Uh, so much into in 1982 to protect the rights and freedoms in the future for Canadians. I can only imagine you didn't expect to be in this place.
2: Well, I I never thought I'd be the only one alive either, even though I was one of the younger first ministers at the time, I I thought there would be others far outlive me so that I wouldn't be alone in this fight. I only wish that Bill Bennett or Peter Lougheed or, Oh, look, look at me there. Um, uh, Yeah. (laughs) Why do you show me so young? (laughs) But in any case, yeah, no, uh, I never thought that I'd be here today and be the only one having to defend that charter. Well, it was 17 months of hard bargaining, you know, it just didn't happen overnight. And, uh, you know, it had a lot of elements to it, not just the charter and the patriation. It had, you know, minority language rights, natural renewable resources, amending formula, right, all part of it. Uh, so there was a lot of different, and the indigenous rights provision that's in there. So there were a lot of things to debate and to negotiate and to bargain over. As a matter of fact, at the end of the day, by the way, I actually relinquished any, any uh, power over the fishery so that we could get the deal we got. When we joined Confederation Newfoundland, the, the, the premier of the day, the leader of the government of the day, gave away all our power to Ottawa. So we had no control over the fishery in Newfoundland. And I was trying to regain a sharing of the fishery, like we have a sharing of environment between the federal government and the provincial government. I was trying to get a sharing of power so that the federal government just couldn't do trade away our fish without talking to us, at least having to talk Mm -hmm. to us about it. And I relinquished that in order to get the deal we got today. So everybody gave up something. We didn't get everything we wanted. And so that's why I feel so fervently about it now, because I know what I gave up on behalf of the problems of Newfoundland in order to be a, a true Canadian, to be part of a compromise, to be part of a bargain. And the bargain we got now is not the bargain I signed.
1: And, you know, that—that that is why we needed your voice. That is why the courage that you have shown in these last months, you could stay in retirement and be happy with that. And, you know, succumb to not being able to travel and see your loved ones. But instead, you've courageously put yourself on the front line. And I believe that for many of us, I know for myself as well, I've I've been a Christian since I was 12 years old. And I know what I experienced in my lifetime for 20 years where God uh, put me through the fire and prepared me for such a time as this. And he is taking everybody, everybody here has gifts and talents that they can provide, that they can share within their communities. And we're calling you up. Together, Brian and I are calling on you because, uh, you know, Brian comes with this amazing gift to say, I know what was involved in creating that charter. And I am here to tell you that our rights cannot be interfered with. I've seen people within the chat saying, you know, that uh, the, the uh, business owner has said that I need to do X, Y, and Z. If it does not align with your Charter of Rights under Section 7, the right to life, liberty, and security of the person, then it doesn't apply. If your employer, if uh, an interior health officer, if the government itself is telling you to put something in your body that you know is going to be harmful, that's in violation of Section 7, the right to security of the person. I've been listening, Mr. Peckford. I have been so grateful because you are teaching so many people. And it is the power of knowledge that is going to free us and the main thing if anything that I could appeal to people and then I'm going to ask you to provide some closing words on empowering our guests or sorry uh you know the, the the people that are here sharing this time with us but i say that knowledge is power and that courage is contagious and so for people to go out and be courageous but it is so much deeper than that we we need you to be present. We need you to be active and we need you not to comply any further with any of the orders. And so I wanna hand that back to you and what would you appeal uh, to people on today before closing?
2: Uh, Civic duty, to be full citizens of Canada, to be full voters of Canada, you must participate not only to put your vote down at election time, you must be involved every single day. Look, a democracy is healthy if civic involvement is high. Democracy is low if civic involvement is low, okay? We have a healthy democracy if the citizens are involved. You must get onto your MLAs and your MPs. You must force them to listen to you, to have meetings with you. And, and the more you are involved, the healthier democracy you will have, and the more your views will be respected in the parliaments of this nation. We must continue. Democracy is very difficult. Democracy is not easy. It, it, it takes every day. It's like being a Christian. It's like, right? You must work at it every day. Every mm-hmm. day you must work to, to behave in a manner which is consistent with that philosophy. Mm-hmm. You must work at it every day. In the same way with a good Democrat, a really good citizen. You must work at it every day. That means being engaged with those you've elected to ensure that they carry out the wishes of the people.
1: That's right. And if you, if you don't agree with them, we need to replace them. Once again, you have just right. uh, gleaned so much knowledge. You have shared your wisdom with us. You have empowered the people, and uh, we are just so grateful. Anytime you want to come back on the show, anything new happening, please reach out. Again, we are so grateful for everything you're doing.
2: Well, I, I really appreciate that, Tanya. And every time I've ever contacted, you got back to me instantly, and I really appreciate that. And so, therefore, I know you're only as close as a click, and I will use it again.
1: That's amazing. Thank you so much. And again, from everybody, well, we bless you. We pray that God will go before you and be your rear guard, protect everything that you're doing, and bless your health and your family and your wellness. Thank you. We look forward to having you on the show again. Thank you. Welcome. All right, Take everyone. You in. care for one another again and love on each other and give each other the help when they're down. We are going to use the the, uh, teams and the people that build within chapters to support our businesses. The government's actions are completely 100% unlawful. Judgment will again be found on justice and those with virtuous hearts will pursue it. You have a virtuous heart if you are here today, pursuing freedom and righteousness. And then verse 23 comes along with a promise. God says, he will turn the sins of evil people back on them. He will destroy them for their sins. I take great comfort in that because I serve a mighty living God of discomfort because we as a nation had turned our backs on him and we need to get right. So I am just going to thank you so much. I'm going to say God bless you and God bless Canada.